Hey, this is Christian Golden. Welcome to our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message encourages you. I hope it builds you up. Enjoy the message. So this morning we're going to start a new series in the book of Ephesians. And my plan is to do a little preaching, a little talking, a little teaching, and to bring out some of the spiritual truths along the way, if that's okay. So I was uh, stopped by Rabbi Ron's yesterday and was, had the opportunity to visit with him for a moment, and I was telling him that I was going to try to do a little teaching rather than preaching, and he said, you know what the difference is between teaching and preaching? And I said, no. He said, volume. <laughs> so I'm going to put a volume monitor on today. So open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, and while you're, going, while you're doing that, I'm going to read a scripture from Isaiah, the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians for at least six weeks, so if you want to, go ahead and read ahead. Um, get out your concordance, get out your study books, bring your notes, and, and get involved with it, because we're going line upon line. Uh, I learned, that, uh, learned how to do that from Paul Golden, my pastor. He taught me well, and he, he loved line by line. Um, Isaiah 28.10, for precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. And that word, line upon line, when you, when you break it down and you look at what it really means, it's, it it's also refers to like a bricklayer's line, a masonry's line. If you've ever seen the, the masonries or the bricklayers, they're building a structure and they have these lines that are stretched out so they know how to get the level straight, plumb and square. Gabe mentioned plumb, Bob, this morning. Well, that line is a guide for us. And what we do is when you put that line out there, you build upon the bottom layer of bricks, right? And so then you move the line up. So you just kind of build constantly upon the Word of God. But you can't do it too fast because it'll smush all the mortar out of the bottom level. So when you build upon something, sometimes you got to let it sit and set in before you move on to something else. So that's the plan. That's what we're going to do. But the first thing, you got to have a great foundation before you build anything on it. And our foundation is found and rooted in uh, Jesus Christ. And that's one of my favorite ways to teach is line upon line because it slows me down. It really makes me dissect the word. It really makes me break it down and uh, meditate on God's word. So the book of Ephesians, um, it was written by the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul was born in Tarsus. He was a Roman citizen. His family comes from the tribe of Benjamin. You know, Benjamin was the last son of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel. He was the last one. He was the one that Joseph uh, requested when he was in Egypt under Pharaoh to bring Benjamin, your, your younger brother, if y'all remember him. Um, he said, Paul said that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. And what that means is that his mom was a Hebrew, his dad was a Hebrew, they were both Jewish, neither one of his parents were carried away uh, uh, or their lineage was carried away back in 700 B.C. You remember when the, they came and they carried all the Jews off into captivity. It was about 700 B.C. And that's where we get the Samaritans because the Jews were forced to intermarry with the Gentiles. And that's where the Samaritans come from. And that's why when you talk about the Samaritans, they think they have rights to the, the temple and the Jews think they have rights to the temple. But Paul's family was not involved with that. So he is pure blood, 100% pure Jewish from the line of Benjamin. Um, he had a great teacher. His name was Gamaliel. 
And uh, when I think about our church and, and where we're at right now, we had a great teacher too. Amen. Paul Golden. I've never met a man in my life who knew more about the Bible readily on the edge of his tongue. And he was one of the uh, few people that I would see. And, and when we would go and have chemo, when Paul was doing his chemo and he would start talking about the Word of God, it was just like this whole new man. He would just start glowing and he would just be on the edge of his seat, you know, like a bulldog just ready to launch out. And those were some fun times, uh, great learning times. But Gamaliel was Paul's teacher. He was a prominent rabbi, and uh, he was really smart. He's the one that told the Sanhedrin, hey, you know, let these boys be because, you know, don't worry about the Christians. Let them do what they're going to do because other people have risen up, and if it's of God, there's nothing we can do about it anyways. But Paul studied under him. Paul was on his way to be a prominent rabbi as well. Um, he was there when Stephen was martyred. Stephen was the first Christian martyr um, that Paul stood by with his coat, all the coats they were hanging on his arm while he watched these men stone Christian, uh, uh, Stephen to death. Paul stood by and watched them. And Paul wrote his letter to the Galatians that he persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Galatians 1.13. So Paul hated the Christians. He hated the Jews. He hated the people of the way. And, but now Paul was converted. Amen. Paul was on his way. He had letters in his hand. He was on his way to find the Christians so he could put them in prison, so he could persecute them, have them stoned, whatever he needed to do, because he thought he was doing God a favor by getting rid of these radical people believing in this man named Jesus Christ who they just watched be murdered on a cross. So he thought he was doing them a favor. And so he, here he is, he's walking along, going on his way, We've got a, a complete mission, and then guess what happens? The light shows up. Jesus shows up and, and, and said, Paul, Paul, why are you kicking against the stones? And Paul was blinded for three days, but Jesus showed up and isn't it amazing how sometimes we're just walking along, doing our thing, living our life, living in our sin, and then all of a sudden Jesus shows up? Like, what? Get out of here. <laughs> I'm enjoying this. But God comes, and he shows up. And when he shows up, everything comes into order, as he did in my life. It doesn't matter where you're at or what you're doing or, or how far off in sin you are. When God shows up, when that light comes into you, the darkness has to flee. Paul the darkness in Paul had to flee because he immediately, when the light shone around him, Paul said, who are you, Lord? What do you want, Lord? He knew. He recognized. Because we were created to serve God from birth before the foundations of the earth. God created us. And, but then Paul got baptized. And, uh, well, he, he went down and he went and seen Ananias and, and God gave Ananias a dream, said, hey, this, this Christian killer's coming. Uh, I want you to pray for him. Ananias was scared. You remember that? I don't know, Lord. I've heard about this guy. He's a pretty bad dude. Uh, but he prays for him. The scales fall off his eyes. Paul gets baptized, and the Holy Spirit comes upon him. And then his name is changed somewhere in there from Saul to Paul. Amen. And there's something up with God and name changes. I'm going to do a study on that, and I keep, I look into it, but, you know, Abram became Abraham, Sarah became Sarah, Jacob became Israel, and Saul became Paul. And there's something about this name change that we'll get into a little later. 
But one of the things about the Jews is that every Jew, when they were going, being trained from an early age, they were taught a skill. They were taught a skill. They were taught a way. They were taught a job, a craft. And they learned the word, and they learned to work. They learned the word, and they learned to work. That would make a great sermon, wouldn't it? You learn the word, and you learn to work. Imagine if we taught our children the word, and then taught them how to work. Imagine if we spent time with our children in the, in the Bible, teaching them how to read God's word and understand God's words and how to study God's word, and then make them get up and take out the trash. When I asked Sarah uh, last week to take the garbage out, she looked at me like she was about to faint. Like that was just a cardinal sin. Like, what are you talking about? Take the trash out. The trash can's bigger than me, Daddy. Said, it's okay. Get a step stool. Take the trash out. But I'm supposed to be in the kitchen. I said, no, we're not going to take that attitude. Your brother can't carry the trash. You carry the trash. So, so I'm teaching her how to work. And I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to give her an allowance because, you know, you're living in my house and I'm paying your bills. You're gonna, if you want an allowance, go read a book. I'll pay you to read books. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know I'm weird. But... It'd be neat if we taught our kids the word and, taught her, uh, and then taught them how to work. But don't get me started, really, on this generation of non-working millennials. Most of the, the, these millennials still live in, in their mom's basement. They don't know what work is. They want all the benefits of what their families worked for their entire life, but they don't want to get out and do it. Look, parents, it's okay to take your foot and shove them out the door and tell them to go earn a living, earn a life. Get ready, because if you don't, guess where they're going to be when they're 50 years old? They're going to be in your house. They're going to be in my house. I told Sarah and Matthew, if you're in college, if you're not going to college, you're going to the military, you're doing something. You're going, and you're going to get a job, and you're going to learn a skill, and you're going to learn a craft. And uh, I, I've been praying and asking God for my son to be the quarterback for the Houston Texans, and... Uh, he responded that he's not tall enough, so I said, okay, then maybe he can be a pilot. <laughs> anyways, anyways, Paul learned tent making. Um, he didn't want to be a burden. So everywhere that the apostle Paul went, no matter what city he went to, he had a, uh, he had a skill that he could earn money, make a living, so he didn't burden the church. And that was an appropriate trade for the wandering lifestyle which he would have after his conversion as he traveled to share the gospel because he went on many journeys and um, hopefully this summer we'll be able to do a complete uh, study and sermon series on the journeys of Paul because they were great. They were wonderful journeys. Um, but anyways, always remember that every experience of your life, every skill that you've ever learned, every difficulty that you've ever been through, every skill, every difficulty that serves God's ultimate purpose in your life. Paul went through some crazy things. Paul went through some amazing things in his life that most of us would, couldn't even fathom what he went through. Amen? That <clears throat> nothing is wasted. Romans 8.28 says, All things work together for the good of those who are in Christ Jesus and called according to his purpose. So are we all in here today? Are we in Christ Jesus? So then everything you're going through right now is according to what needs to happen for your story, for your life. Every hurt, every pain, every joy, every smile, every loss that you've ever faced, every gain. When people talk bad about you, when people talk good about you, when you're knocked down, when you're picked up, everything, all things work together 
for the good. And Paul wrote that because he knew that no matter what he went through, it was all going to work out for God's glory. And all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. And that's a good place right now for us to just, one second, just praise God for all the good things in our life. For all the good things. Paul had a divine destiny from the time of his birth. And all this is going to lead into Ephesians, but I wanted to give you the background behind the guy that wrote it. But Paul had a divine destiny from the time of his birth. So you too, I do, have a divine destiny from the time of our birth. God not only destined you to be a believer, but he has put purpose in your life. So my question is, are you fulfilling that purpose? Are you fulfilling the divine destiny that God ordained and instilled into your life? And if you're not, how come? What's stopping you? What's slowing you down? What roadblocks are in your way? The, church, uh, the letter was written to the church at Ephesus, but it was also, a lot, a lot of times we think this, this stuff in the Bible is written just for the people of that day, but not so, because Paul also wrote a letter to Timothy, a second letter, uh, chapter 3, verse 16, that says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness. So everything in the Bible, from in the beginning to forever and ever, amen. Genesis to Revelations. He is the Alpha and the Omega. Everything we can use to better our life, to better our walk, and to equip the believers and to equip the saints to better do God's work. But he had a divine destiny. And we also have a divine destiny. Amen? Now, the church of Ephesus was, was uh, Paul had stayed there. He, was, he wrote the letter to Ephesus when he was in the in, uh, church of Corinth, or the city of Corinth, for a year and a half. Um, his travels, it, it was around 52 AD. This was the journey that he made with Priscilla and Aquila, um, part of Paul's second missionary journey. During his third missionary journey, Paul returned to Ephesus where he stayed for three and a half years. Now, sometimes God will move you to accomplish his purpose. Amen. Sometimes God will move you out of your comfort zone to accomplish his purposes. But what we have to figure out is do I stay or do I go? I think there's a song, do I stay or do I go now? So when we're, as Christians, when, when God's speaking to us, we, you don't want to put the cart before the horse because it ain't going to go. And you don't want to leave too much behind you. You want to be right in the wheel, right where God wants you to be, every step of the way. And how do we do that? How do we make sure we're exactly where God wants us to be? It's by fellowship. Fellowship with him. Serving him. Speaking to him. And if you have any questions, get with the elders in the church. Ask them, hey, I think God is telling me this. What do you think about it? And they're going to give you an answer. They're going to pray about it, but they're going to give you an answer. Either yay or nay. It's simple. Don't jump out there and just think because you think God's telling you to do something. Don't just jump out there and do it without affirmation. That's how we get ourselves into trouble. And that's how all these ministries get started and get failed by the wayside. So everybody gets excited, we get fired up, we get pumped up. Oh, I like this, I want to do that. And we start it, we talk about it, we brag about it. And the next thing you know, what happened? Did you ask God? Did God really tell you to do this? But you got to know where you're going, or that's where you're going to end up. Pastor Paul used to tell me that all the time. If you don't know where you're going, that's where you're going to end up. Amen? So you want to be right where God wants you to be. 
You don't want to be before him. You don't want to be behind him. And you don't have to worry about God. God is going to do what God is going to do. He's never early, but he's never late. Seldom early, but he's always on time for everything in your life. Now, Ephesus is also the first of seven churches in Asia Minor that was given a spiritual evaluation directly from God. When you turn to Revelation chapter 2, the church of Ephesus, the, the, John the Revelator is writing this, and he's saying, the, the Spirit, Holy Spirit, Jesus is speaking through him, and he's saying, hey, I have this against you that you left your first love. And that's what they had against the church of Ephesus, the first church to be, have a spiritual evaluation by the Lord. And how many of us here today still love Jesus with the same passion as when we first got saved? Do we really? Do we really? I know when I first got saved, I was in, a, in prison, and all I wanted to do was talk about Jesus. They didn't want me around. They didn't want nothing to do with me. Here comes that weirdo. Here comes that fanatical guy. Here comes that radical Christian. And look, there ain't none of us in here radical. I'm just going to say it. We ain't radical. We might get out of our comfort zone every now and then. Paul was a radical Christian. The disciples was a radical Christian. Jesus was a radical Christian. I would question if we would even be worthy to carry their cloak. Somebody told me once, if you were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And I think about that all the time. Is my light shining, Lord, for you, or is it shining for me? Am I living for you or am I living for me? Am I, am I trying to further advance your kingdom or am I trying to build my empire? Who am I serving today? But I still love Jesus with the same passion as when I first met him. Because I can think back to that moment where he saved me. And when you serve Jesus and you walk with him, you experience things. You experience life. You experience ups. You experience down. You have testimonies. And it's those things that you can go back and look into and where you can say, oh, I remember when God showed up here, and now he's going to show up here. And, there's, and if he did it there, then I know he'll do it here. Amen? Paul was in prison at Rome when he penned the letter to the church in Ephesians. And that was a difficult time. And when I look at Paul and everything he went through, it's absolutely amazing to me that being the prisoner, being this radical Christian in this dungeon where all the, the sewage of the city flowed through and he was always probably sick and, and sneezing everywhere and it was dark, it was damp, but guess what God provided for this man? A pen and a parchment. Imagine that. Of all things that Paul probably thinks, thought he needed, he ended up, God gave him a pen and a paper. Amen. Don't despise the little things in your life. Just because you don't understand what it's there for, don't despise it. Don't despise it. And it's absolutely amazing. But the purpose of the letter was to encourage and unify through equality. The purpose of the letter was to, uh, to Ephesians was to unify through equality and encourage. So in other words, because we're all bought with the blood of Jesus Christ and, and we're all equal, we're all one race in Jesus Christ, we all have, we're all the, there's only two genders, we're all male or female, God created them male and female, if I don't know about all this stuff, okay, uh, there's two, boy and girl, I don't know, if, if it's not true, the, if, it's, if there's more than two, the Bible ain't real, right, if you, if you think you're something else, let, let's have a conversation. It's a boy or girl, male or female. That's how God created them. 
but we're all, we're all with the same purpose. Doesn't matter. We're all bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. And there's only, the Bible says that there's, a, there's God created them male and female. It doesn't matter what your political affiliate is, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, Jesus still died for you. It doesn't matter if, if you even like politics, Jesus died for you. It doesn't matter what your social status is, if you're rich or if you're poor, if you're broke, if you're busted, if you're disgusted, it doesn't matter. Stop separating everything. That was the purpose of the letter, to bring unity, to bring equality. And we share in the same forgiveness, all of us. We share in the same redemption, every single one of us. The same adoption as, uh, as we were all Gentiles, but God grafted us in. He adopted us, and he saved us by his grace. Amen? And then at the end of Ephesians, that we see an emphasis on spiritual warfare. And that's one that I'm learning, that I'm understanding, that I'm studying, because there's a greater war that's happening beyond what we could see with our natural eyes. And it's the enemy that's coming to steal, kill, and destroy. Everything that he can take, he's going to take. But the point of the spiritual warfare is that we keep it where it belongs, which is the power of God to protect rather than the power of Satan to pillage. Because that's what he wants to do. He's coming for everything good in your life, your family, your marriage, your children. If you got a new car, he's going to try to bust the tires. He's going to try to have somebody steal it. He's coming for everything good in your life. And you know, we don't fight these battles with our fists. I grew up fighting with my fists and we can't fight these battles because a lot of these things you can't see. We battle not against flesh and blood. But the, the greatest battle, greatest warrior we could ever be is on our knees. And it's hard to stumble as a Christian when you're fighting your fights on your knees. John 4.24 says, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is a spiritual God. And we are spiritual beings. So in order to understand his word, we have to have a spiritual relationship with God. So when I, what I do when I get ready and get in my studies and I start praying, the first thing I say is, Lord, this is my brain. You created it. You anoint it. Take the scales off my eyes. Give me spiritual vision. Give me spiritual ears. Take the hardness and the bitterness and anything that's in my heart that will stop me from understanding your word and remove it. Because like David said, search me, O Lord. See if there be any wicked way in me. And I say that because I want to understand God's word with truth. I don't want my skewed opinions. I don't want to try to read God's words when I'm angry with somebody because it comes out different. I was in the bathroom practicing my sermon one day, and Emily said, man, that one sounded like it had a lot of fire in it. And I said, baby, I just talk loud. She said, you need to show some love. And I said, Emily... Okay. <laughs> okay, baby. My wife's a little different. My wife likes the sermons about mountains and flowers and trees and birds. You know, I like the hellfire and brimstone, you know, get right or get left, turn or burn, you know, I mean, total opposite of the spectrum. But she gives me a well balance. She gives me a well balance. I always say I married way out of my league. And the only reason her mom allowed me to come back for a second date was because I had a new truck. And she thought it was mine, but it was really a company truck. So I've been deceiving them from day one. <laughs> Way off subject. Anyways, chapter 6 talks about the whole armor of God. 
And that's one of the things that I do every single morning when I wake up. I put on the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth. I shod my feet with the readiness of the gospel. I take up the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit. Because when I crawl out of bed, two things are happening. Number one, every demon in Brazoria County is saying, oh, my God, he's awake. And the second thing is I'm putting on my Jordans and I'm practicing my jump, getting ready for the rapture. Do y'all do that? No? Just me? All right. Well, that's what I do in the morning. That's my routine. Then I get down and I pray and I put on the armor of God so I can be equipped and ready for the day. And I don't wait till everything comes against me, then start praying to put on the armor. I put it on before I leave. Well, we was out here in the entryway, um, and I had just, this one I had like 40 pages of notes when I was learning how to preach or learning how to speak in front of people, I would say. I wouldn't even call myself a preacher. But pastor, it, oh man, he is so great. He always gave people opportunities that most of us would just look past. And he gave me an opportunity. And anyways, one of the things I used to always say is, did you put on your armor of God? And as I would say that, I could hear this faint whisper from the audience, God's armor. God's armor. Then I realized it was Pastor Paul saying, every time I'd say, did you put on your armor? He would say, God's armor, God's armor. <laughs> and finally, it stuck with me. Did you put on God's armor when you woke up this morning? When we have it on, we're absolutely invincible. That no weapon formed against us shall prosper. And without this covering, we are guaranteed to have casualties. Not just for the individual. We don't just put the armor on our personal lives when we get up. We put the armor on over our family. We put the armor on over our church. We put the armor on over our job. So that with everywhere we go, it's covered under the protection and the blood of Jesus Christ. And when we have this armor, you can wake up and have all the attitude and all the authority that Jesus has that we can push back the gates of hell, empty them out like Paul used to say. I love he used to say that. It's unload hell and load up heaven. And if we're doing that, these seats would be full. These seats would be full. So we need to put our armor on. And we need to go out, and we need to find these people that don't like us. We need to find these people that don't want nothing to do with us and tell them about Jesus. You don't have to win anybody to Christ. It's not your job. It's the Holy Spirit. All we got to do is be available. Had a, a, a good example is um, my neighbor across the street was telling me about rabbi was out there washing his car at the, at the car wash, and this guy, he goes around the corner, and he starts talking to this guy about Jesus, a Yeshua. And he sends me this picture, and he says, hey, do you know this guy? I'm like, yeah, that's my neighbor. How do you know him? Oh, I'm over here witnessing to him. So my neighbor, when he gets home, he jumps on his four-wheeler, and he's flying across the pasture. I know why he's coming. And he was so excited. Hey, I met the guy, uh, your rabbi. <laughs> Thank you, Rabbi. He was so excited. He was so excited just that somebody would speak to him about Jesus. You don't have to be an evangelist. You don't have to be a pastor to share the gospel. It's our life. That's how we live. Amen. We need to take back the ground that we've given up. We need to stop being scared. We have a promised land that we have to go and possess. So who's going with us? Who's going with us? We need Joshua and Caleb's to stand up in this generation. Amen. We need, we need two. There were 12 people that went. Only two said we could. 
And the other ten, I'm not going to go into great details, but they all died with a plague and a disease because they were fearful. They were scared. They didn't trust in God. They looked with their natural eyes and not with their spiritual eyes. That's why it's important that when we get up in the morning, we pray for a spiritual eyes. Lord, let me see how you see things because oftentimes I'll look right past somebody because of the way they look, because of their attitude, because of their political affiliation. But when you have on the spiritual eyes of Jesus Christ, you're going to talk to them no matter what because there are no boundaries at the cross. Everything at the cross, is, is the reason it's so great is because we're all equal. Amen? Now, let's talk about Ephesians. The first three uh, chapters of Ephesians talk about relationship with God. Okay, The second three chapters talk about behaviors in Christ. So if we get our relationships right, if we get our relationships with, right first, our behaviors will fall into place. But we oftentimes we get that backwards. A lot of times when we get saved and we start believing and we start coming to church, the first thing we want to do is change our habits and change our behaviors, but we don't want to form a relationship. So when the going gets tough and things don't happen the way we think it should happen, we go right back to doing the same things we were doing. But if you develop a relationship with Christ first, the Holy Spirit will come in and will start changing your behaviors. And those things, those habits that you used to get a hold to, when you were, you know, uh, had a, I worked for a guy named Jeff uh, Gambrell, or Jeff Bartley, your brother-in-law, at Stable Drill. And it was a time when he quit smoking. And one of the things that he'd do every time after he got done eating, he'd reach up and do this, reaching for his smokes. And he said, you know, I had to get my attitude right. I had to get my, my attitude with Jesus right so I could change my behavior. Because every time I tried to quit without Jesus, I would go back to the same thing. And even to the day, I saw him at Walmart the other day, even he said, you know, I still, he smoked for so long, it happens. But praise God, he's been delivered from that. But if we get our relationship right with Christ, our behavior will fall into place. Amen. And if you don't, and, and we keep it backwards, it won't ever work. Because every time you try to change a behavior without Jesus, you always go back and revert back to the same thing. Ephesus was known as a center for the cult. It was a, a major city. It was, on, it was near the water. There's a lot of people, that, uh, things that come in through there. Um, they, there was a worship. They worshiped the pagan goddess Artemis. And I had to look that up. Um, but she was evidently the goddess of hunt. Okay, she was a hunter. She uh, did wild animals. Uh, they sometimes called her the moon god. The Romans called her Diana. But pagan worship was thriving in the church of Ephesus. So it's no wonder that God sent Paul to start a church there. And, so, and it's no wonder that God sends us to places where pagans are thriving so that we can let our light that is in us shine into the darkness in other places. Amen. But sometimes we don't go. We get scared. We get fearful. And when I think about that, I think about Jonah, how God told him to go to Nineveh. And, and they were, there were Syrians. They were ruthless, evil people. And he said, I ain't going to do that. He, just, he didn't just say it with his heart, but he said it with his mind. He said it with his mouth. But God will send you to places. At my job, I'm sitting upstairs. There's about 30 or 40 cubicles. There's no windows. And they said there's no windows up there for a reason. Because all the people that are up there are wild. They're vile. They, they say nasty, debaucherous things. It's disgusting when the people from downstairs, the secretaries, when they come up, literally, 
They holler through the door, woman on deck, woman on deck. It is vile. And I think to myself, last year we made, our company made like $98 million. How can we have this thing that I call the dungeon existing and these crazy people? But I'm a light. I'm a light that shines in the darkness. And I don't have to do anything. I just set my Bible down on my table and then all of a sudden things started changing. I never asked them to watch their mouth. But when they're coming around me, they watch their mouth. I never ask them to not show me the things they look at on their phone. They always pass me up, say, oh, you can't see this, Pastor. And they just keep on going. I said, okay. Thank you. But I'm praying for you, by the way. I'm praying for you. Pagan worship was alive and thriving. And, and, and so it is today. We worship anything and everything. We worship anything and everything. We worship people. We worship vehicles. We worship uh, social statuses. We worship um, girlfriends. We worship boyfriends. We worship shoes. It's amazing that people will stand in line for two days to get a pair of shoes. I don't know. I don't know. I know some people that can afford them, but I can't. I don't know. How do you afford these shoes? I love shoes. I got a bunch of them, but I always get them on the clearance rack. Or I'll go to the mall or, or the flea market, and I don't get real Nikes. I get Nikes. Huh? You know what I'm talking about? No? Okay, never mind. Y'all, y'all must not have grown up poor. Huh? Fake it till you make it. Y'all never had to do that? No? All right. Let me change the subject. <laughs> Anyways. Anyways. Follow along as I read. Verse 1. And two, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from our God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, Paul was an apostle, and, and again, we talked about his conversion. He was on the road to Damascus. He got converted. He saw the light. He went and had the scales fall, and Ananias prayed for him. The scales fell off his eyes. He got baptized, and that's when Paul went off into, a, uh, I think it was a couple years, where he went off and, and the Lord really dealt with him and, and worked with him. But he was an apostle. He became an apostle, and he was a messenger of Jesus Christ. And that's a, a messenger is a person who Jesus gave or gives authority for certain tasks. I say we're all messengers. I say we're all apostles in here. Uh, there was 12 disciples. There was 12 apostles. There was 12 men that turned the world upside down. When you look in, in the Bible, it was 12 men. Amen? And I always ask the question, it's amazing to me how the disciples were able to accomplish so much with so little, and it's equally amazing to me how we have accomplished so little with so much. It, it goes back to your behavior. It goes back to your heart condition. It goes back to your heart attitude. What, do you, what is your purpose? What is your desires in life? Are you trying to promote the gospel? Are you trying to promote themselves? These guys were radical for Jesus Christ. That's, and by the way, when you get into apologetics and they start trying to figure out, well, you know, how do you know this is real? How do you know all this was real? One of the things they use is they, they use the life, the Bible, the life of the disciples before the cross where they all left and they all fled and they all hid. They all didn't understand about Jesus dying. They all went right back to what they were doing. But when Jesus reappeared to them, they all gave their lives for him. 
And that's one of the ways in apologetics that they prove the gospel, that they prove Jesus Christ. Because how many people willingly die for something that isn't real? And they all did. Most of them were martyrs, I think, but one. I think uh, John, I think he was the only one. He died on the Isle of Patmos, wasn't it? Yeah, down the Isle of Patmos. Uh, but they turned the world upside down. 2 Corinthians 5.20, Now then, we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in us. So we are ambassadors. We are representatives. That We represent God's kingdom. Everything that we do, everything that we say, every bumper sticker we have on our car, every hand gesture at the red light when somebody cuts you off, everything represents Jesus Christ because we are ambassadors. The way we treat people, the way we look at people, the things we post on Facebook, the things we comment on, everything, everything. Remember that. Get that in your spirit. We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ, and we represent him. And my question is, how well do we represent him? How well do we represent him? Do we have to introduce ourselves as Christians, or does our lifestyle do it for us? If your lifestyle introduces you as a Christian, I would say you're probably on the right track. But if you have to tell somebody, oh, I'm a Christian, and they give you that sideways look, I would probably say you're not doing something you should be doing. Amen. We're ambassadors. We represent Christ. And not only do we represent Christ, but we represent our families. We represent our children. And not only do we represent that, but we also represent our church. And we want people, we want these seats to be full. And how are we representing Christ? How are we representing the body of believers here at Light Christian Center? There's a lot of churches out there. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about us. Well, I think we do quite well, to be honest. I really do. I see a lot of people, a lot of stuff. You know, I don't always comment, and, and I don't always spend a lot of time on social media, but I see a lot. When I do get on there, I see a lot of good stuff about our church. I see a lot of good people posting nice things, scriptures. That's wonderful things. That's wonderful things. I think we do a really good job at representing Light Christian Center. And what that means is when people come in, they're going to say, hey, I know this guy. Yeah, he's the one that posts all the scriptures. Yeah, and then they come in, and we represent Christ. We represent our family, and we represent our church. Read with me verses 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in, in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we, we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself, as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us and the beloved. Christ has chosen us. And this is, the, this is the wonderful doctrine of election that we really can't fully explain, but we can fully enjoy. That God chose us. He looked down and decided to call us to be his servants. To, to worship him, to serve him. And I don't understand why God picked me. I'm sure Apostle Paul didn't understand why God chose him. I mean, he said he was a chief sinner. He used to violently persecute the Christians. 
But sometimes I think God will take somebody who's radical for something, anoint them, and make them radical for something else. Because I ran hard for the devil. Amen? I ran hard for him. Most of y'all did too. Y'all don't, don't look at me crazy. Y'all told me some things. I'm just saying, y'all used to run hard for the devil too. So y'all should say amen. We're, we're delivered. We've been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now who are we running for? We're running for Jesus. Don't try to explain away the mysteries of God just because you don't understand it. It don't mean, it don't mean that you can write it off. It, you know, God didn't choose us in ourselves. He chose us in Christ by grace. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 30. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Think of who you were when you were called. Think of where your life was when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, and I guess I'm going to leave that one alone, but not many were influential. One of the things that we talk about in our driveway time, me and Eric and Daryl, that um, we meet once a month, and it's, we always talk about influencing the influencers, and that's a big statement. And I think sometimes we do good, and I think sometimes we do bad. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And I used to be weak. Although I thought I was strong in the world, I was weak until I met Christ, as, as many of us were. God chose the lowly things of this world and the, the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that... No one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Verse 5, he has adopted us. This, this election, it refers to, to, to persons. It refers to how God elects us to be saints, to be set apart. He predestines us. He calls us. Before, when we were in our mother's womb, before we were even created, he, he had a calling on my life. He had a calling on Eric. He had a calling on Danny, on everybody's life. But the thing is that we sometimes get twisted off at an early age because we allow the circumstances of our life to dictate our future. And when God said, I didn't want it to be that way, but again, it goes full circle all the way back to Romans 8, 28, that everything we went through is for preparation for where we're going today because God predestined us. That's a, that's a hard subject to talk about. I don't fully understand predestination. Some people don't believe in it. I don't know if I believe in it, but I'm just telling you, God predestined us in the sense that he called us before we were born, before the foundations of the earth was created. He knew your name. Amen. Praise God for that. And that certain purposes in our lives shall come to pass. Adoption. Uh, in the New Testament, adoption refers to the official act of a father who bestows the status of full adulthood on a son of minor status, okay? It's not the taking in of an outsider like we presume. It's the placing of a family member into the privileges and blessings of adulthood. And this is great news because that means that even the youngest of Christians have the full authority of the gospel, amen? That even as babes in Christ... that. When we say I do, we have, remember I talked about the, the differences between the infilling and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. When, you're, when you become a Christian, you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, okay? You have the Holy Spirit in you. So that means you have all access 
to all the glory, to all the forgiveness, to all the redemption from the moment you say I do. And then the infilling comes later when you're baptized, when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. But we are, we're adopted, we're engrafted into the kingdom because we're heirs and we're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And nothing can separate us from Jesus. When I'm an heir with somebody, that means that I have rights to everything they have. All their money, all their cars, their home, I got keys to their house. I'm an heir. I'm an heir with Jesus Christ. You're an heir. We're all heirs, and we're joint heirs. Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers or things present or things to come or powers or height or depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Does that sound? Amen. We just praise God for a second. That's that's such good news because when I first got saved, I thought I had to earn my way into heaven. I thought I had to act a certain way. I thought I had to dress a certain way. But God said, no, come as you are. And as a church, when we say come as you are, we got to let them come as you are. If you're gay, if you're homosexual, we got a place for you on the front row. We're going to pray you through some things. God's going to love you. I'm not going to judge you. If you're racist, if you're a Democrat, if you're a Republican, come, sit on the front row. It's always open. I don't know if I smell bad or what, but the front row is always open. I would love to have you there. I got one. I got one. Amen. So look, at the words of Pastor Paul Golden, I've got more sermon than I've got time. Um, I'm really working on not being so tied to my notes, and uh, I didn't really use that many today, so we've got a whole lot to talk about next week, so this six-week series may turn into about a 12, but it's okay. We got nothing but time, because the rapture ain't come, right? Amen? Can we stand and pray this morning? Can we stand and pray this morning? Can we hold hands? Miss Sandy, would you do the honors, please? We just stand and pray this morning. Yes, Father. How many of you say we can do better at serving Christ? How many of you say that I can do better today than I did yesterday? We don't have to do it all, but we can do a little better. We can pray a little harder, study a little more, love a little more, and be kind. Kindness goes a long way. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have this opportunity to come and just hear your word, Lord, to praise you, to live through some things, to serve you in the midst of these storms, Father God. And just as the Apostle Paul wrote these letters that transformed the world when he was in prison, Lord, that tells me that it doesn't matter where I'm at, what I'm going through, Lord Jesus, you can use me and through me and in me to accomplish your goal and your purposes. Father, as we leave out of here today, I will pray that our light will shine and be so contagious that people are going to want to know, why are you always so happy? And that will give us an opportunity to talk about Jesus. But if it doesn't, Lord Jesus, give us the boldness to approach other people, Father God, because they're not going to come to us, Lord. we got to go to them. So I pray in Jesus' name for that power, that, that fervent, that urgency, Lord Jesus, to reach the lost and bring them in. And we thank you, Lord, and we just praise you right now. And everybody said, 
Amen. Hey, this is Christian Golden. I wanted to thank you so much for joining us today and listening to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, I'd like to ask you to do a couple things for us. The first is to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date with everything going on here at LCC. Also, you can help us reach others around the world by investing today at lightchristiancenter.com slash give. Thank you so much for joining us. God bless you and have a great day.